0: It depends on what you're passionate about and what you want your end goal to be with your food and your health. Because in the end, that's what it is. Your food is your health. This is the Real Food Real People podcast.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. Lately, we've talked to a lot of people Um, with meat and beef in particular, producing it here in Washington State, raising beef on ranch land, feeding beef, all this kind of stuff. But what about the next step? The person that takes that beef and turns it into something that you and I can buy at the store and cook up, or that a chef in a restaurant can cook up. So I wanted to talk with one of those people. This week we talked with Bobby Morrison, and it turns out he's so much more than just that. He is a meat cutter, a butcher, at Del Fox Meats in Everett, but he has a background as a cook and a lifelong passion that you'll hear about for food. Join me as this journey continues. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is all about my journey to get to know the real people behind our food, the farmers, the ranchers, the butchers, the chefs, and many more of the people that create the things that we eat. Thank you for being here this week. What does a typical day look like for you on the job working with food?
0: You work at Del Fox Meats, right? Correct. Yeah, in Stanwood, Washington. Uh, It changes day to day, but typically, well, typically... There's nothing as typically right now with COVID. Yeah, for sure. Um, our business is busier than ever. Hmm. Normally, this time of year we're slow, hmm. or like you know, maybe we're out of the sh- cleaned up and out of the shop by three, four. Hmm. But
1: how early do you start in the morning?
0: Uh, like normal eight. Yeah. This time of year, but right now it's been like seven or six. Yeah. And we and we don't clean up anymore. We got a cleanup crew. Mm-hmm. or a guy that comes up and cleans up so then that way we can cut as long as possible right and we are literally we are cutting from so say monday morning we start at seven we'll start you know set up put everything scrap barrels hooks luggers trays get everything all our mise en place everything set up in place and then uh they will roll out the beef and start cutting and then we have a break at 10 it's about 20 minutes uh, and then we'll have another break at noon, and then we'll just and then we'll have a break at three. But we're cutting beef the whole time, and we don't stop until like five, five fifteen. It could go longer. Who knows? Um, what else comes up? So cutting beef, how how does that work? What what do
1: you start with? Okay, so and, and just every, in a nutshell, what, what every does the process
0: shop, go? Every shop is different. Mm-hmm. There, every shop is different. Everyone cuts different. Everyone has a different theory. Or just a different method, however you want to put it. No one really cuts meat the same. It's unless unless they've been cutting together for a really long time. Mm. Um, everyone breaks it just a little bit different. You know, it's like you could have it uh, inch different one way or an inch different another, and it kind of changes the muscle structure a little bit. Mm. But uh, typically, what, the way we do it is we break everything by the half, and then it's quartered on the rail. So you would have what you would call your four quarter on the front and then the hind quarter on the back that quarter that's on the front that's where you get your we'll go from the bottom from the neck because that's at the bottom mm-hmm. up to your ribeye so you know you get your neck your brisket shank arm roast clawed roast you could get your flat irons and terrace majors out of there let's um, move this over for you a little bit oh yeah no worries my voice carries <laughs> uh and then uh you know and then you'll get into your chuck Short ribs, mm. um, then into your plate, and then up into your ribs. There's a couple other cuts you can get out of there. But that's typically that, that front side. And then what we'll do is we take it and we'll clean up the, the skirt and the neck and just anything that's uh, got some age on it. And then we break it uh, in between the um, pro- the fifth and the sixth rib. Mm. Uh, and then, and then uh, we have it. And then from there we'll end up dropping it onto the saw, and then it splits the the arm and the brisket, and then from there you get your chuck, your clawed. Um, the way we break is pretty basic; mm-hmm. it's nothing like you would see in a retail shop. Mm. Um, it's yeah. So talk talk about Del Fox Meats. What's so?
1: What is it, and what's the the whole vibe of what you the whole
0: team is doing there? So what we're doing is we're doing on farm slaughter mm-hmm. bringing it back to the shop uh and then process aging it and then processing it that way how long do you age it uh, beef is typically 14 days mm-hmm. uh we we're really we're like right on 14 days cuz we can't go any longer or any shorter because our coolers are full mm. and then uh, what
1: what happens if you go
0: shorter then the customer doesn't get a very good product and you know then we're just uh, so aging determines the quality. Correct, correct. And it also de- depends on how fat the beef is. But, you know, that's... You're, when you get into that, it's it's a little bit more delicate because you can age things longer if you want to. But, again, we don't have time and the space to do something like right. that for people. Um, some people want a three-week hang. We can do it in slower times, but right now... Got to keep d- stuff moving we, through. Yeah, we don't have space. And um, so, yeah, we go... Out to the farm, we have a butcher truck, which the owner of the shop runs, or is on. Mm -hmm. He's got, uh, it's a three-man crew, and they go out. They go as far as a Canadian border, okay, and they'll go all the way down to Carnation and farther. Okay. Uh, That's big territory. They, it doesn't, you know, they'll go out to the Friday Harbor. They go out to all the islands. Would be a lot. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, they'll just, and then so they go butcher in the field and then bring it back. Then we'll weigh it wash it or wash it weigh it put it in our chill cooler it sits for 24 hours in the morning i'm usually the one that'll take it out rotate it um it goes into one of one of three coolers that we have depending on which one's full and rotation on and then yeah two weeks and then then we roll them out and then we start cutting just like i was just saying in that exact way um you know we have one guy who will break like i was saying break that front quarter and then we have another guy who will break the hind quarter. And then we have uh, myself and another guy. And we have another guy filling in right now because we're so busy. But and then so then we're just trimming, break, uh, uh, I, you know, just cleaning stuff up, make making steaks, briskets, um, roasts, netting stuff, just making it simple. And then uh, passing it over. And we got two ladies that wrap, mm. do an amazing job. And we got a guy who makes hamburger. He's got to keep up with us, and he does a great job because we, you know, it's like we have to keep up with the butcher truck because they can, they can kill faster than we can process, right? And so the pace that they, that, that they keep us at is crazy, right? Because <laughs> they'll, they'll kill 20 beef in a day, right? They'll make two or three loads right how many, now. How many pounds is in the average beef? beef. It varies from anywhere from six depending on the farmer and the cows and the feed but it varies from anywhere from 600 to 1200 pounds and that's finished
1: product to the finished
0: hanging weight product okay you know we get uh grass-fed cows that are lean as all get out Mm -hmm. and that you know you honestly wish you could almost add fat to Mm. um but and then you have some cows that or beef that's just so fat you just see it and your hands just start to hurt (laughs) You know, and the fat's hard and you just you know, you just wishing that and hoping that your knife is sharp enough to get through it. Sometimes, you know, it could be a razor and it just stops. And it doesn't even it could be older too. Hmm. That doesn't help. So
1: So you're cutting meat all day, every day.
0: We did sixty three pigs last week on Tuesday.
1: That's that's another thing I was gonna ask. We've been talking about Beef. beef, but you
0: do pork as well. And lamb. And lamb. And goats and alpaca oh really and deer and elk and bear wow yeah yeah so uh what's, yeah alpaca is about the, the the craziest thing I guess yeah I don't even know if it's crazy but it's just and I've you've eaten it it's not it's good it's yeah, like
1: what would you compare it to it's
0: kind of like a mix between beef and lamb yeah 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 red meat real dark mm-hmm. um wasn't you know I forgot what cut I think it was like a piece of top sirloin but yeah no it was really good of all of all those,
1: what's your fave? Pork. Yeah, yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. A lot of people are just kind of meh on pork. Oh, well, because they don't understand the value of pork and what it brings to uh, just I don't know. I guess my opinion's different because I see it through a cook's eyes, mm. and then I get to see it through my butcher's eyes first because I started cooking before I even got into this meat world, and it was kind of a kind of planned a little. So I cooked all over seattle for 10 years and eight nine years and Mm. it uh from you know small cafes to catering big huge caterings at nintendo to um uh to fine dining doing you know eight to ten courses
1: so what kind of stuff were you making what was your specialty oh
0: man um i i never really could say that like i could have specialties but i was So ADD about my cooking, like I just, I never cook the same thing. If I do, it's just like, I just always try to improve it. So it's never, I've always had this, you know, it's good, but I can always make it better. Right. Mentality. Yeah. And it's just, that's just with life and everything for me. Um, so I'm always looking at ways to improve. Um, but I really like curing bacon.
1: Really? (laughs) And, and did that start only once you had gone from being a cook to being a butcher? Yeah yeah that just that explain how that works Wait, what's so, the process of so, making and curing bacon
0: making and curing bacon so for me it's everything i like to just be as simple as possible i don't like to overcomplicate things so for me bacon is pork belly mm-hmm. uh 50 50 salt to brown sugar oh really okay and i just give a nice even coat rub on the belly and then sometimes i'll have it in a container or i'll put it in a plastic bag and i let it and i and i'll rotate that bag every every day every couple days check check the the moisture levels because what you're doing is you're pulling all the moisture out of the fat mm. and so and you're or out of the, the a little bit out of the fat because there's not too much and mostly out of the protein and so you're just sanitizing it almost and then uh uh making it so the you know benef- beneficial bacteria can can grow if you right. want if you let it you know because you have to age that um if not you just you know it's about five to seven days rotating mm-hmm. uh, you might have to resalt it um once because if you do it a little bit more it's a little salty yeah but then you just got to add fat and cook it with other things but yeah i've aged bacon for a year let it get black mold on it really mold on it yeah yeah and i just wipe it off with vinegar really yeah See all these things that we've
1: been trained for so many years to be scared of, when actually they're part of a natural process.
0: Yeah, and I actually I learned this technique from Brandon Sheard, the Farmstead Meatsmith. Okay. Um, I was early in my career, but like in between, like right when I was getting into butchery or meat cutting, uh, I took a couple of his classes. Right when he first kind of started up, like eight to ten years ago, something like that. And uh, it's just I've been just loved it ever since, and just the simplicity of it, and it and it, you can change the flavors of your bacon by just where you let it sit, and just hang out, like, like from your countertop to having it in your fridge, just because of the temperature difference or temperature difference, the 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 smells of your kitchen cooking, um that's why in like a lot of. You would see like old text or in other old butcher shops or anything like that, you always see cured meat hanging mm-hmm. above things, right? And it's doing that not only for air and, and uh, circulation, but it's also picking up the, the smells of your environment. Mm-hmm. What about smoking it? That's a choice. You could, you could either smoke it, add, add flavor within your smoke woods, or you can just let it hang out. After after you rinse your cure off, your salt sugar, after about five, seven days, and then you just kind of let it hang out on the counter. Or and then how long does that go? As long as you feel like. Really? Yeah.
1: And doesn't have to be refrigerated? No. Open air? Yeah. And so how long do you do that before you slice it, typically?
0: You could do it that day. You could do it in two weeks. Is you it can, better the yeah.
1: longer you wait?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just depends on how developed flavor you want to go. Yeah. Because you know i've noticed that l- the longer you do it a little bit you know you get more of that funk That yeah. cheesy gamey kind of i wouldn't say gamey but it's more it's more of a cheesiness hmm. you know it's just a different palatable umami-ish flavor i yeah. want to say just because it's yeah. like something that your tongue and your mouth isn't used to yep. but at the same time you can't put your finger on it like i've done this and i've taken this bacon to like guys trips Yep. And they get pissed off at me because I don't bring enough. <laughs> you know, like I bring all this meat, I bring steaks and everything, but they just want the bacon. <laughs> you can eat it, you can eat it, just slice it, eat it raw, like thin. Really? Yeah. And it just because of the, the air, the circulation, the salt, the sugar, it just kind of, it's like prosciutto. Mm. You know, it just, it just slice it real thin. You can kind of see it, like you can almost see through the fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah cool stuff
1: so how different is that than the bacon you buy in the store uh so because you can't do that with bacon that you buy in the
0: store right no no that stuff goes bad yeah it can the the bacon in the store too is because it's it's all pressurized cured so it's like even at our shop we use a tumbler and we we can make we have bacon cured in four hours Mm -hmm. you know and then and then we let it hang out for a day and then we smoke it Mm-hmm. And then, like, literally, you have bacon in two days, opposed to five to seven. Right. And there's no way you could do it. You could, but you could have have a lot of space to do it that right, way. Right, to
1: store all of it as it cures. Yeah,
0: and there'd be no way you could charge the same price. Yeah. You know, A lot more expensive. No one would want to buy bacon. Well, they probably <laughs> would, but they would just
1: scoff at the price. And what about this stuff that you buy at the store that's, like, uncured, because people... That's, are worried about okay. the things that go into cured bacon. That's curing it probably with different stuff than what Cor- you're talking about doing.
0: Correct. It has uh, a celery powder or, uh, see, and this is, I've, I probably should do, I should do more research on this and mm-hmm. I've always needed to, but I've always just kind of stuck with my salt and sugar. Um, just cause I know. Old fashioned. Yeah. And I know, and I know what it is. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I buy bacon from the store. Um, I don't always, I don't have time to to cure it like I used to, you know, because everyone works a lot, but it's, you know, I like being dad, I like coming home, being present, and, and, uh, you know, not having to be like, hold on, let me take five (laughs) minutes and make this bacon, because it doesn't take very long, but it's like, another thing to do it's it's another thing to add to my plate how many kids do you have just one just one five-year-old and she is man she just keeps me so busy we were playing (laughs) horses this morning and you know she just dad play with me dad play with me
1: (laughs) i have a four-year-old so i know the game man (laughs) and
0: she just cracks me up i forgot what she told me this morning but she called me a knucklehead or something (laughs) you know so where did you grow up so i grew up uh, in Ellensburg, Washington. Okay. Uh, it's kind, of my, it's kind of crazy because I grew up in a farm town, beef town, and I didn't really want anything to do with it then. Mm. Like, I just wanted to hang out, play my sports, hang out with my friends, ride my bike. But yeah, no, I wanted nothing to do with farming. What did your dad do back in Ellensburg? No, well, okay, so. My parents actually separated, so okay. my dad—I actually got the best of both worlds. I thought, as a kid, because mm. my dad always lived over in Seattle. Oh, okay. And and um, when my parents split up, my mom moved us over to Ellensburg, and the uh, so you know I got the city life on the weekends, and then during the week I got to hang out you know in the country, and so I always thought that was awesome because you know I get to experience it all, and not most most people don't. And and the it it's allowed me to connect with a lot of people, right? And in, in, in a lot of different spaces and relate to both sides, and so you know it's definitely helped me out in my my career and my journey and my path on this food passion that I have. Um, what did your mom do in Ellensburg? My mom did. So she was she moved over there and she was doing what was it? She, it was um, rehabilitation for uh at risk youth okay uh when she first moved over there and then she ended up uh starting her own business mm. as uh she's selling it was like old western antiques so what did your dad do in seattle so and my dad so he worked for seattle light as in the uh, oh. as a carpenter okay and so uh you know my dad's always worked with his hands yeah and so i didn't realize i was going to end up working with my hands when i was younger but uh I knew probably right around middle school I wanted to cook. Really? Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's I knew I wanted to cook, but I never like. What what was it that you were doing at that age where you were inspired by that? Uh, I don't. I can remember actually my cousin cook making scrambled eggs with me when I was actually younger, mm-hmm. and that is the memory that's always stuck with me in cooking. Is you know that was my eggs, you know, mm. eggs, eggs were my first love and, and cooking was, was scrambled eggs with my cousin.
1: So by the time you were saying high school, what kind of stuff were you cooking?
0: Not a whole lot to be honest, but
1: it still interested.
0: You. Yeah. It just interested me. It's not like I pursued it mm-hmm. or, or went to work in a restaurant. Like my first job, I was in seventh grade. I worked for a logger, you know, and then, and then, uh, I did that. And then once I turned I worked for him for a long time and then once I turned 17 I started working at the Albertsons in town and you know that was I did that for you know what 17 18 and then I graduated and as soon as I graduated high school man I was gone I moved right over to my dad's house like Hmm. two two days (laughs) garbage sack over my back and I was looking for a job in a restaurant really as soon as I graduated yeah yeah. And so what was that first gig? What did you do? <laughs> to be honest, it was in the mall at Auntie Ann's pretzels. I don't know if I've ever really told anyone that, but only my close friends know. It didn't I wasn't there very long. Yeah. But at the same time it's like it's cool because I did that when I was eighteen and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like I've been cooking for a while, went to culinary school at North Seattle. Mm. Um and Worked in a couple cafes and stuff, and then, you know, a handful of years later, all of a sudden, pretzel buns and pretzels become huge, right? Like, everyone's wanting pretzels. And, and you're like, I've done this. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> weird, man. And I'm like, and people are trying to figure out, like, in the in the bakery section cooking, they're like, I can't get these as golden brown as I want. And I'm like, I could help you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, but. What is it about the right amount of butter or the right? Heat? No, to be honest, it's baking soda and water. Okay, <laughs> it's just it's just gives it a nice shine. You just kind of brush it on. Really? Yeah. Huh. Just as you're done baking it, and kind of, and then throw your salt on. No kidding. Yeah. If it oh. doesn't work, don't hold me accountable. <laughs> <laughs> just because you heard it on the podcast doesn't mean it always works. Uh, that's true. Don't don't
1: believe everything you hear on a podcast. Yeah. At least try it though. <laughs> what well, um. What was the coolest restaurant cook, cooking oh, experience that I've that you, yeah. ever had? Yeah.
0: Um, I want to say Purple Cafe in Bellevue mm. is really what. And, and it wasn't so much the restaurant itself, but it was the environment and the other cooks and the chefs I was working with that made the experience. Like that restaurant could have been, it's in your restaurant could be, you know, it all depends on who's working. Yeah. And your team, because yeah. I've worked in a lot of different restaurants. I was one of those guys that, like, I I change restaurants every year. Mm. Like, I worked, I've worked in, I don't know how many different restaurants. It's Is like, that
1: pretty typical in that business? Kind, yeah, yeah. Move around,
0: yeah, because it's you know you're always getting paid the same, you mm. know, and you know someone might offer you a quarter more, yeah, an hour, and so you're like, a quarter <laughs> more, I'll take it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm learning something new. Yeah, and and I worked two jobs for a while, you yeah. know, a work. Morning shift somewhere, and then I go work night shift somewhere, you know. How many hours a day, then, were you putting in? 16 to 18. Wow. For, for like a year, year and a half. Oof. Yeah. That's intense. I had, I had some hospital bills I had to pay. Really? <laughs> yeah. What happened? I ended up, well, I didn't know if it was from stress or what, but I ended up getting migraines in my stomach. They called it neurocyclic vomiting syndrome, and literally— for wow. a period of, like, three or four years, I had a really sensitive gut. Really?
1: Yeah. I would think, like, ulcers or acid, you know. I ended up like getting me.
0: those. They they yeah. ended up giving me that, like, just because I was throwing up so much. Ended up, yeah, giving me, I ended up getting, like, two ulcers. Had to take uh, medication for that. So what were you, too much stress and you weren't eating yeah. or what? Well, no, it could have been that, you know, because drinking a lot of soda and coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, because working in the restaurants, you get unlimited soda, man. <laughs> I don't drink pop. I don't drink it anymore, really. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, I used to drink almost like a gallon a day. <laughs> like, because you get these 32-ounce cups, you know, they yep. call them portion cups. But, you know, it's like all you got to do is put it up in a window and someone fills it for you. Yeah. unlimited. am <laughs> um, But, yeah, so Purple Cafe in Bellevue is probably the, the my one of my funnest experiences um working i learned a ton um my chef there his name is harry mills guy's amazing um just a great team leader and just knew how to challenge people just to the right amount just perfect and and get the best out of them and be able to promote such a great work environment like if if i could go work for someone again and he was doing any, I would leave my job and I would go work for him in a second. Hmm. And I could tell you hundreds of people that have worked for him that would yeah. probably say the same thing. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, another, uh, his name's Kyle Cole. Uh, he's a, he, where's he chefing now? He's doing a pizza restaurant, I think at Redmond. Hmm. The guy's a wealth of knowledge and food and just passion and just, he kind of pointed me in the right directions, showed me some different different chefs, different techniques, taught me about doing the research and 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 looking for the little details that are going to make a difference, you know? Just the little things that are going to make your day that much better, but then are going to make your work even better and taste that much better. Mm. You know, and he might not say it, but you know, it's just it's just the, his personality and what he just brought to the table every day. He was he was intense he was fiery um and you know he's a couple i think he's a couple years younger than me even you Hmm. know i'm 36 so but yeah no that's it was awesome team man and then from there it's i went and worked at google that was an awesome experience yeah doing food Food stuff yeah cooking cooking in their kitchen really yeah with a good buddy of mine he got me the job uh oh wait 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 sorry i gotta backtrack it was, I went from, sorry, I went from uh, Purple to Altura, which is actually, uh, was nominated James Beard, Best New Restaurant, Pacific Northwest, that first year that I was there. Wow. Yeah, and that chef there, that guy's guy amazing. His name's Nathan, Nathan Lockwood. Hmm. He's from this area, went down, to, lived in California, and worked for, I believe the restaurant was Aqua. It was a two or three Michelin star restaurant. So, wow. And I only got to work with, with him for six months. And then uh, we had some family issues. My uh, my wife needed needed me home more. Yeah. So so I had to take a day job, and then that's when I started working for Google, hmm. working in their kitchens. That was a great experience. Ton of freedom. Yeah. Just evolved it that way, and then and then after that, then I uh, I left and I went into retail butchery, and worked in a retail shop, and that was my first experience, and that was at. Uh, Build a Butcher in Woodinville. So how did you make that transition from cooking to butchery? Because that's it was, pretty different. It right? is, but it's always kind of been in my plans. Like back to going back to when I was in high school and mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to cook. I had a, a friend of mine, or my mom's friend, who I, one day pulled me aside half drunk and said, <laughs> what do you want to do when you graduate? <laughs> you know, yeah, classic question. Yeah, and so I said, I want to cook. And... Then I think, and I want to cut meat. I want to be a butcher. And she said, "Well, cook first. Really, don't don't go cut meat first. Cook first. What was her background that she could give you that advice? She was uh, a beef in beef sales. Mm. So at the time, she was she owned her own business selling beef, grass-fed beef out of New Zealand, um, and she had grown up uh, a cattle rancher's daughter who ended up being i believe a head <coughs> excuse me head sales for uh IBP mm. and and marketing at one point mm. i think in the 80s and then and then and then it or in the the late 80s and then mid 90s kind of broke off and did her own thing and saw that beef was going more towards a grass fed mm-hmm. and that was you know mid 90s but and then i i didn't get to hang out with her as much cuz shortly after she passed away mm. but you know, I'm doing exactly what she wanted me to do. And the kind of that plan that her and I talked when she was a little blitzed. But, you know.
1: Hey, sometimes that's when the real truth
0: comes out, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: she didn't hold anything back, man.
1: <laughs> so you get into butchery. And first you started retail. Retail. How long did you do? And, and what's the difference between what you're doing now and retail? Like how so big, how much different is that?
0: A lot. I, I think it's a lot different because... Different customer base, different process. You know, it's like you're going from setting up a case of meat out of a box that literally you're just like denuding or trimming fat and being able to make it presentable and putting it in a case. Yeah, it's got to right. look good. Yeah, you got to make it look good. And then from what we're doing now, now it's speed, being able to debone stuff because you're not when you're working with box stuff, you're not deboning mm. a whole lot. Uh, um, uh, yeah, just. Knife skills in general are a lot different. You're having to use different positions. You're using a lot more leverage, uh, gravity for a lot of things. Um, Seeming so, I mean, just the cuts you're working with are a lot different that you don't see in a retail space.
1: What's the most underrated cut of beef that people don't usually buy or think about but is actually awesome? Oh, man. You 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 people who cut meat, you guys are the ones who know
0: this stuff. I know. And it's crazy. Okay, so we were talking this off air, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, about the difference between the the city market, I want to say, mm-hmm. and the rural market. Yeah, is the best way to put it. Right. Um, because you come out to my shop and and like a hanger steak is, <laughs> ugh. Why would you ever eat that? It's gross. You know. And, What's a hanger steak like? What? Uh, so so for me, the the hanger steak is a diaphragm muscle. Okay. It's it's a singular muscle that literally hangs inside the cow and Mm -hmm. it helps breathe right it's part of your skirt the skirt steaks and stuff Mm -hmm. um but it's it's gonna be one of the beefier cuts anything on the inside Mm -hmm. is gonna be have a lot i want say beefier flavor so Mm -hmm. you got your hanger your skirt uh maybe even your flap flank Mm -hmm. you know because they're kind of more on the interior side and there's not a whole lot in between they're gonna like carne asada yeah yeah right? so your skirt steak or
1: flap ba- it's called a bavette is if, it isn't if, there a lot of stuff that is sold like in the regular grocery store that's called carne asada but
0: isn't it's just the true it's, it's just carne asada it's just it's just a style of of thin cut meat is is like you come get carne asada for us it's like depending on how you want it you could get it out of top round you could get it out of chuck you could get out of ribeye hmm. so it just depends on who's cutting it. Recently, I just cooked a grilled broil. a London broil
1: and way better grilled than the old school way of doing it, which always tends to overcook in, it.
0: In an oven with the broiler on? <laughs> Grill over never, charcoal. I've never better, done that. Way better. Never done that. I need to do that.
1: And I I was skeptical, but you know, read online, okay, this person says do it, so I did it. It was awesome, but it really helped me taste the different flavor of the London broil. Yes. That was another cut that's like it's got way more it's a little bit more of a almost a gamey flavor well, it just, to it. just
0: and it's beefy. To be honest, with the London broil, the London broil is actually just a style of cooking. And and, True. and True. if I don't know, was it do you know was it a top round? Yeah. Okay, cool. Cuz there's some some places market it a little bit different. Like I said, You know, yeah, that that new style of
1: cooking has become synonymous with that cut, cut. but really, exactly. You
0: could do the same thing with the like when I was younger, a London broil for me was a flank steak, Mm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but that's just what my mom did, yeah. And I didn't know any different until I started cutting meat, yeah, you know. And it's just like it's and it's regional, it's how you grow up, and yeah, and if you're not around it, you just you're not exposed to it. You just don't know. And it's, it's not your fault. You know, it's just like, it's just how it is. It's everyone treats cuts differently. Uh, a London broil. It's like when I was working in the retail shop at build a butcher, rarely sold London broil. Hmm. Rarely would even someone come in and ask for a London broil because like we would take that top round or bottom round even, and we would use them for jerky Mm -hmm. or stew meat or hamburger uh but like we just i don't know it was really weird we just never but up north we sell them all the time yeah all the time and then it's like with the going back to hanger steak flank steak or not the hanger the skirt uh bavette, um what's another one culotte which is a cap of the top sirloin Mm. like in the city you got people wanting those like crazy Mm. and then you come up north it goes into grind Right, like I had, I had a friend of mine come up and cut with us, and she worked. uh, Her name's Alice. She works down in or Mercer Island, but she's moving down to Portland. But she came up and cut with us, and her favorite cut is a flap steak or a bavette. She's cleaning it up all nice. I have her making it into stew meat and stuff, and she's like, "Really, no one actually wants this as a steak?" And I'm like, "It's not on our cutting card." And nope. So really, yeah. So we always turn it into stew meat. Great for stew, yeah. And then the one time that we got uh, uh, no stew meat, I looked at it, she was cleaning it up. I was like, Here, there's no stew meat. Like, you want to see what we do? I just took my knife, and I go, Whap, 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 three pieces, cleaned off a little bit of fat, and I threw it in the lugger. She was like, You gotta be kidding me, nope. She's like, it. You are breaking my heart right now. <laughs> I almost saw a tear you know because if you throw it in the lugger what does that mean it goes to grind goes to grind hamburger yeah the hanger steak same thing yeah goes to grind skirt steak goes to grind and she's seeing this right because she markets all these cuts all the time Mm -hmm. and people just like she can't keep them in her case long enough really yeah and then i'm throwing it in the grind and she's just like just her i can just see her heart (laughs) breaking you know
1: Uh. Why are you so passionate about food?
0: I think, in all honesty, because my mom cooked the, oh, the living out of it when I was a kid. <laughs> like my vegetables, I, I will almost eat them raw, opposed to cooked. Yeah. Like it's just barely blanched. Yeah. When I cook it. Yeah. And and like, they say perfect in some restaurants is like you can go up to your carrot or your asparagus, and you should be able to cut it with a fork, mm-hmm. right? It shouldn't fall, like, literally, it shouldn't smash, but you should right. be able to kind of have a little bit of force, but be able to cut it with a fork. Yep. That's almost too cooked for me, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I just liked it, just just barely cooked, because, yeah, my mom would, she would take a can of cooked beans and boil them.
1: And so that I, drove your passion to, like, there's a different way to do this. Y-
0: I guess because that's the only thing i can come up with from looking back and trying to just reflect on on how i've got here right um because i do that quite often to just kind of give myself checkpoints and yeah see how i'm doing and and uh, uh yeah that's just a lot of what i come back to and my wife's the same way my wife works in food well kind of now but not yeah. really because of covid
1: what was she doing
0: she was working at daniel's broiler in bellevue mm. Serving, serving steaks.
1: They cut back because of like, COVID. Oh, they oh, haven't restaurant.
0: been open yeah. since. So they just
1: laid a and bunch of people off.
0: Well, no, they're still all they're all. Well, yeah, yeah, because they're all on unemployment, right? um But uh, they actually start back up tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, my wife's actually got her first shift back on Sunday. So
1: yeah, COVID has really done a lot to the food Ooh. world. Oh right? my
0: God, man, it's changed out it's changed the way we do business like i said at the beginning like we're slammed we are so busy it's like fall it's busier than fall right now like it is we are doing so much beef and pork and people are wanting to fill their freezers more than ever before is that they just want to stock up yeah or is it because they're home and cooking more that could be it too or they don't trust the food system they don't trust what's going on like um you know that your podcast you did with Camus, mm-hmm. uh he had, a, he had a lot of great things to say about our food system yeah. and what we do here in Washington. You know, like, we live in one of the best food states in the world. Like, it just hands down. Like, our climate, everything, that's changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in and, and, and the passion that, that our farmers and the people producing the food have is, is, you know, I can't say it's it's the best because I haven't been other places, but... All I know is that people that come here are just surprised and just blown away by the products that we're able to put out, you know, and it's cool because the different temperature climates that we get all over the state from the San Juan Islands to where we're at now in Everett to up to Stanwood, up where you're at in Linden, all the way over to the desert when you go to Ellensburg and farther over to Sunnyside. Walla walla, like you get in, you know, it's like you got potatoes up north, you got potatoes out east, you got wine grapes up north, you got wine (laughs) grapes out east, and it's just like, are you kidding me right now? You know, and then not only that, and then you got all this cider and apples and cherries, and it's just like more and more and more and more. Yeah,
1: what what don't we have here other than like tropical fruit? I'm trying to think of what else we don't grow in Washington State and grow amazingly well.
0: you know, coffee beans? Have you done coffee beans? We grow coffee beans here?
1: We do? I don't know. No, I haven't I, I haven't seen that.
0: See, you said, what don't we grow? And I said yeah. coffee beans. Well, maybe that's... Yeah. Someone's going to do it. It can be done. Yeah, like I, I know of someone trying to do it in Wyoming. Really? Yeah, or Wisconsin. One of the two.
1: Boy, you just opened a whole new can of worms. I'm going to have to go Google this now.
0: I'll send you links. <laughs> awesome. I'll send you links. Because that's just... um. I'm always researching. I'm always looking to, like I said, to do something better or someone who's doing it better. You know,
1: what do you think that people buying food at the store or at a restaurant or wherever need to know about where their food is coming from? And like, you're talking about how lucky we are here in, in Washington. Ask
0: questions. Don't just assume that the person serving you, handing you your food knows what they're actually doing. Because to be honest, some people just don't like the, they just don't educate themselves on it Mm. yeah they could be serving it to you but that's just their job like you as a consumer if you care about your food you should do the research you shouldn't just act like you care about it or uh you know just yeah just ask just do the research grow it yourself you know it's 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 not it's not hard but it's not easy (laughs) yeah right right you just have to do put in the time that's all it takes yeah time a little bit of research and grow your own food that's huge and know a farmer that's another one it's not even if you can't grow your own food know a farmer everyone should know a farmer or have a farmer like they have a mechanic or a dentist or a doctor hmm. because in the end that is really what's going to make you healthy it's it's not it's not going to a doctor and to tell to have them tell you you know you're you're having issues right. because you're eating too much sugar well <laughs> i'm eating a lot of candy at night well you know it's like and and i have that issue i probably if i go to the doctor they're gonna tell me i eat you know i'm probably close diabetes but it's like because i i I like candy yeah you know but at the same time i know i do i should not eat it as much but at the same time Kind of tough sometimes when your wife makes a bunch of brownies and puts salt and powdered sugar on top of them. And then you got your five year old being like, Dad, these are so good. Will you just have a brownie with me? No, I'm not trying to do that. Okay.
1: What about there there are a lot of trends and fads out there, and a lot of people that, a lot of, there are a lot of things that people are really worried about with their food. Yeah. Are those things accurate generally that people worry about or are they kind of, in my experience at least, people are not worried about maybe things that they should be and they're all obsessed and super scared about things that aren't actually bad at all.
0: Correct. Yeah. No. Has that
1: been in your experience, knowing kind of the back end of the food system?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, it just goes back to educating yourself as a consumer. You know, it's, and this goes, when I was working at the retail shop in Woodenville. I was blown away with how much the consumers knew about the product that I was selling mm. compared to even some of the people that I worked with because mm. they didn't know and literally I had customers tell them more about the meat that's in that box mm. than what they knew and and for me it was a real eye opener to be like I need to know more you know if I'm selling this and I'm talking to someone I don't yeah. want to just if I'm going to I'm gonna tell you the truth. It's just that's the way I have always been. I, you know, I try to be as honest as transparent as possible, um, and and I try to pass that on to my daughter. And so, when I just I just tell people to educate themselves, and I'll do whatever I can to help put them in the right position to do that. I'll answer all the questions, but yeah, it's just kind of looking them up, talking to the people raising it, um, looking into the people that are processing it, looking into those practices. Um looking to where it 's coming from uh what 's the carbon footprint you know there 's a lot of different variables, and it depends on what you 're passionate about and what you want your end goal to be you know with with your food and and in your health because in the end that 's what it is is your food is your health in general, so the healthier you know and you could say, yeah, I eat healthy, but at the same time it 's you know it's it's all in perspective yeah you know my wife says we eat really healthy and i'm like we could eat healthier yeah. she's going to scoff at me when she hears this but at the same time you know it's like we grow a lot of we grow a good amount of food at our house we don't have a big plot or anything mm-hmm. but it's like the experience that we get or i get when i can watch my daughter come out to the yard pull a carrot out or we've been eating strawberries like crazy mm-hmm. like handfuls handfuls a day mm-hmm. and and just that experience and it's like having her like eat a a white strawberry and the, the bitter sourness that it has compared to just like one that's like too far ripe right where it's like fermented where yeah. you're just yeah. like oh that's alcohol <laughs> <laughs> you know but it looked awesome yeah and and so but it's like being able to experience that and i'm like to be honest when i was five i didn't get to experience that you know so it's, I don't know, it's just bringing those food experiences and just trying to connect with your food as best as possible. It's like, yeah, it's hard to do in the grocery store and everything, but it's convenience. I totally understand convenience. Shop on the outside of the aisles, you know, shop in the middle, and you're just going to kind of go down go down a road that is not the best, but it's not going to kill you, I don't think, yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I can go off on tangents. I don't know.
1: Do people need to be worried about their food, like living here in Washington State? Again, they're,
0: again. Like, if you're getting stuff from our state, no, not really. Because people are worried about, yeah, people are worried about their food. And again, do your research because the restrictions and the guidelines that we have that we have to follow, like when we're processing animals, like the USDA is really strict, right? Like they have, we have a lot of strict rules. That we have to follow to make the the meat that we're producing wholesome and, and, and you know safe for people to eat. And and yeah, there are bad actors out there and, and and people that try to fake the funk, but it's again if if you care and there's a reason why these guidelines are in place, you know, being able to find people that are transparent, wanting to show, if they hide things, I wouldn't trust them so much. If you can't see what's going on. Tough for me to trust you. Well, and that's my thing with food that's grown farther
1: away and especially in a different country or truck.
0: Yeah, totally. I, uh,
1: how do I know?
0: Totally. And it's just like, and you don't know. Things it's like, are enforced. Exactly. Like you go, it, it goes to grocery store and, and box meat. It's like, you know, uh, especially, yeah, it's, it's amazing what food and food programs can do for the quality of your animals. You know, um, I, uh, Buddy over in Ellensburg, Kyler, he's starting up his beef business. It's Pacific uh, uh, PNW Beef. Uh, he's got this cool f- feed program, and I haven't got to try his beef yet. I'm really anxious because he's talked it up to me. But he does. He's his feed program is he's using uh, spent. I believe it's spent grains from Iron Horse Brewery. Okay. Over there, and he's got this. I think. Okay, I might mess this up. Sorry, Kyler, but it's like chaff or something. It's it's like like, like loose hay mm-hmm. that they mix in a specific variety, I think. And then uh, he's got this other waste product. It's I believe it's from a bakery that he that he mixes in with it. And 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 he's got this it's it's all formulated, right? Like mm-hmm. and so then they mix it and what he says is like the fat is like soft and how the hell is he describing it it was almost i would the way he was describing is almost kind of wagyu because mm. like it's just got this soft saturated just melts really really quick yeah and and so for beef it doesn't happen very often right like it it all depends but sometimes you see it and it's just gross but sometimes you see it and you're just like wow that's really interesting because some all fat on every beef is different, you know? And so when you get the saturated stuff, it's, it's easier to cut, but sometimes you're just like touching it and you're just like, wow, that's liquid already. How does that happen through gloves? Yeah. You know, it's just like, how can that clog your arteries? I don't know. Well, and, and it
1: sounds like the science is evolving on that with, with fats too. It used to be, oh, fats are what's clogging your arteries cholesterol and stuff yeah now they're saying no it's actually the cholesterol that your body produces and it actually is a response to potentially eating too much carbs which they told us to eat for a long time yeah and now they're like no actually fat is maybe not the terrible thing that they used to tell
0: us that it was and so yeah so it's like i've been so busy but it's i want to try this beef and not only that it's from my hometown and it's a friend of mine so it's so it's cool you know, I'm meeting friends from, I'm getting relationships with all different types of farmers from all different backgrounds. Like, yeah, my buddy Kyler, he knows, he knows Camus. He's mm. good friends with him, who you did on your podcast. And then it's like, I got small farm friends that are, that have moved from like Snohomish down to Orting. and they're having, and, and everybody, everybody is having issues getting their animals processed. Mm. 100%. Like whether it be their pigs or lambs, their beef. So what's the issue? Everyone's busy, man. Just not enough not, processors nope. like you guys there at Del Fox to nope. do it. Not just processors, meat cutters in general hmm. doing what I'm doing. And and it's not because, well, it's because it's hard work with not a lot of pay Yeah. in the end. You know, it's you know, like well, we work like 10 hours a day, 10 plus, 12. And, you know, what was I golfing with my uncle yesterday and he, and i was telling him that he's like oh i was a machine mechanic. that's not that bad you're preaching in the choir and i'm like yeah i get it but you you wake up and your hands are numb and you can't button your shirt in the morning <laughs> like and then and then you're driving to work and your hands go numb again <laughs> and then when you get on the block you're starting to cut you can barely grab a piece of meat with your left hand because it's numb And then you can't grip your knife because it's numb and then you have to just shake it off just from using your hand so much all day all day flipping pulling mm. tearing grabbing you know it's like some i feel really good because i've had time off but you know it's gonna be nice to go back to work on monday or being gone a week so but yeah it's my back my arms like i feel good now but last week man i was my body was in a bad shape could barely bend over i never
1: thought of that but being a butcher would be that hard on your body, but oh, it makes sense.
0: Man, I'm standing in one spot for like nine hours. Like I can feel my ass disappearing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and then uh, my hamstrings were just so tight. Yeah. I've just been trying to stretch them all week long. And and you know I got I change my shoes like yeah. maybe twice a day, once a day. I have a pair of boots and I wear my Romeos. I just yep. go back and forth. Yeah. Because you know I got to change my my your feet are important. Yeah so i learned and that affects that. your back too yeah and i learned that being in the restaurant working 16 hours yep. you know it's it's different because i had i had different shoes on then you know i'm more of in a boot now um kitchen shoes are more comfortable yeah but at the same time we work with hoses and water all the time and i don't feel like being wet at work yeah <laughs> that sucks because it's cold yeah you know sure it's like yeah we're out here and it's 80 degrees but we go in the cut room and it's 40 <laughs> go in the cooler and it's 30 yeah 25 yeah. going in the freezer is negative 15 so i'm usually in a hoodie and a button-up of some sort well thank you for
1: sharing your story no problem like all I, the steps that i wouldn't have expected
0: but oh, as you explain all of it we just, it makes sense we just the journey the that you've been service. on this you know yeah for it's, sure it's uh yeah it's not gonna stop man it's just gonna keep going getting better evolving Meeting more farmers, doing more every day. Uh, You know, I'm looking, always looking for the next step. New projects. um, Yeah, just staying busy in this meat world. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. After that conversation, I really want to try that old school way of curing bacon that he described earlier on, I should go back and actually write down, uh, the steps that he explained and and see if I can make it happen. What a fun conversation with Bobby, uh, and a guy that's just really passionate with such a broad perspective of our food system and what's good and what's bad out there. I have so much fun talking with the people that we encounter here on the podcast Please uh, support us just by following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, at RFRP underscore podcast. Check it out. Also go to our website if you haven't already, realfoodrealpeople.org, and feel free to email me anytime, dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming. Giving a voice to Washington's farm families... Find them online at safefamilyfarming.org. And by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers connecting consumers to agriculture and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.